This is Killstreak. Greetings, snail cleavers. It's Killstreak, episode 172. I'm Eric Goslin. Joining me here, as always, one of the architects of 9-11, Mr. Mike Price. <laughs> hey, Mike, how are you? Just because I designed that building doesn't mean I'm responsible <laughs> for what happened. You're right. I should clarify. One of the architects of the World Trade Center, not <laughs> not of 9-11. Sorry. It's an important distinction, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My apologies. Uh, I'm doing just fine, Eric. How are you on this fine Monday evening? I am also just fine. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Not too much to report from my end. Uh, and by my end, I mean my ass. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Terrible, terrible stuff. Um, anything you want to hit at the top? Movie-wise or um, horror-wise? Because I don't really have much er, horror-wise. Er, hmm. I... Yeah, I don't know if I watched any horror movies this week. No. Um, did we, we saw Oppenheimer right after we recorded last episode, right? Yeah, we did. Okay, mm-hmm. so we saw Oppenheimer. We did. Not a horror movie, but some horrific parts. Horrific too. things that yeah. happen because of... Yeah. Mr. Oppenheimer. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's a good movie. I liked it. Um yeah, it didn't emotionally devastate me in a way that like a lot of people have reported feeling after mm-hmm. walking out of it, but I thought it was a a really great piece of filmmaking. Um Yeah. The performances are kind of across the board pretty excellent. Killian Murphy, of course, is is great. He's Killian in it. He's killing him, and hey, um, yeah, that's kind of my my takeaway. I assume that those emotionally devastated people that you're talking about are just uh, ignoramuses who haven't yet processed exactly what it meant to drop two atomic bombs on Japan. Yeah, they hadn't thought about it before. Yeah, they were like, "Oh no, that was bad." <laughs> yeah, wow, your video is very delayed for me. Is it for you? I, your audio is fine. No, my video of me is pretty fast. Oh, I meant of me. No, yours is okay. fine. But right. but as long as you can keep up with what I'm saying. I mean, I can't, but yeah. that's beyond. It's not okay. internet related. <laughs> I yeah. can't keep up with these hot takes you're spewing constantly. Yeah. I mean, honestly, your video, uh, I usually have you minimized anyway. So. Oh, my God. That's a joke. It's not oh true. Oh, my God. God, he has himself maximized. No, staring into his own eyes. No, in fact, I'm I'm the one. Surprise, surprise. Who back way back when was like, we have to look at each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. It yeah. wouldn't be the same, just uh, just audio wise. Yeah, I can't see how frustrated you're getting. Whether I need to push harder or take my foot off the gas. You can't see my face being illuminated by my phone. <laughs> Well, that's the problem with doing it on a computer. I just assume you're always looking at a tab, and uh, you don't even have yeah. to hold your phone. 
Um, so also, hey, rest hey. in peace, Paul Rubens. Sure. Lost wow. him today. He was, he was a, a legend. Yeah. Um, he was in at least one horror-adjacent film that I know of. Buffy the Vampire Slayer? That's right. He's one of the best parts of that movie. He definitely is, yeah. Yeah, yeah very funny. I remember laughing my ass off as a 11-year-old during his post his mid credits sequence yes. of continuing to die. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. One of the highlights of the film. Well, today we are talking about a horror comedy in its own right. Slumber Party Massacre. Um what is it? 1982? That sounds about right. That sounds right to me. Um this was uh, a video store staple. I mean, this is, mm. I feel like this is everywhere, right? It was certainly in our video store. Yeah, mine too. I saw, I, you know, we'll get into our own personal experiences with it, but this is one that I saw early and I saw pretty often. Mm. And I, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we'll get into them. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm saying there's a lot of reasons why. Do they come I, in pairs, Eric? Yeah. <laughs> that a young you know 13 14 year old 15 year old kid would want to watch slumber party massacre yeah um, yeah. repeatedly (laughs) i get it yeah specific parts over and over again yeah wearing um this is a just i mean we're gonna be little pervy freaks today i'll just i'm not i'm gonna be classy all the way through (laughs) we're gonna be nlbs Naughty little boys. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, this is a this is a horny movie. It is a horny movie. Uh, in some ways. Yeah. But uh, you know, well, I look forward to talking about that, the horniness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's probably something best saved for the next segment. Um, for this segment, we should talk about how this horny picture came to be. Um, <clears throat> how much do you know about Amy Holden Jones, the director I know a bit. of this film? What do you know? Um, I know that she was an editor. Yes. And she was, uh, fell into the Roger Corman school coaching tree. um and then i mean this is probably biting on something you're about to talk you know i'm always interested when you have uh things you want to add to this portion of the show she was tapped to edit Mm et spielberg's et yeah but then turned it down to direct this movie because ultimately her ambitions were to direct Mm -hmm. and uh went went with this one that's correct and uh yeah so that's kind of what that's what i know about her a little bit probably no more i'll I'll fill in some details all right well if you can do my whole fucking job for me i don't know what the point of being here (laughs) you asked me (laughs) (laughs) yeah so amy holden jones um she she kind of made her way into uh the film world by uh winning an afi student shorts competition in the early mid 70s and in the process of doing all that and showing stuff at afi and getting that award 
she happened to meet Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Or is it people? It's like Scorsese, right? That's what it's really supposed to be. Probably, yeah. Everybody says Scorsese. I know, but yeah, I'm just you know I don't want to insult him. Uh, You know, we have our differences, but he is one of America's great directors. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we don't really have that many differences. I think he's really good. It's just everybody else thinks he's a little bit better than I think he is. Um, Here we go. Here we go. That's all I'm gonna say about it. I think he's incredible, and he's just he, you know, he's still overrated. Um, so. She called him up a couple months after and basically just said, hey, I'm thinking about moving to New York to try to work in movies. Uh, Do you think, like, kind of like, do you think I have what it takes, you know? Uh, And he offered her a job as his his assistant on Taxi Driver Mm -hmm. uh, because he thought she, that her movie was good and she was talented. Um, After Taxi Driver, well, I should say during Taxi Driver, she met the cinematographer of Taxi Driver, a gentleman named Michael Chapman, uh, who's shot some real bangers, Eric. Um, in addition to Taxi Driver, his first movie as cinematographer, The Last Detail. Oh, yeah, great um, they did, um He did The Last Waltz. He did Raging mm-hmm. Bull. He did The Lost Boys, Scrooged, Ghostbusters 2, Kindergarten Cop, mm. The Fugitive. Space mm-hmm. Jam, mm-hmm. and many more films. He continued to work into the late aughts. Uh, he's still alive. He's just retired. No, he's not. He's dead. I'm sorry. He died three years ago. Uh, oh, God. The, the great retirement in the sky. <laughs> what a monster <laughs> I am. Yeah, the the ripe old age of 84. So He li- vaxxed? Was he vaxxed? I don't know. That's hard <laughs> okay. to say. He might. It is possible that he died at Sturgis, uh, partying, <laughs> riding on the back of his wife's Harley. Oh, I just mean vaccine may have led to his injury. His, no, I know. Death. Yeah, yeah. No, oh, I yeah, understand. Yeah. Don't you remember? Okay. Sturgis. <laughs> yeah, I do was, remember Sturgis. Was yeah. a, was a big gathering where people were very anti-vax during yeah. the early yeah. days of the pandemic. Yeah. Anywho, that's not important. Um, that wife driving that Harley, Amy Holden Jones. They got married. Oh, yeah. Wow. And then they uh, lived their lives together. As far as I know, there's no record of a divorce. As far as I can find, I went through the uh, the county papers, the the records. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't find anything. Um. So, anyways, after she did Taxi Driver, Scorsese was like, "Yeah, you're you're overqualified to be an assistant." And kind of sent her to Roger Corman, uh, where she started working as, a, as an editor. She worked there around the same time as Joe Dante. Um, and eventually, you know, expressed to Corman her interest in directing and uh, asked him what it would take to, to direct a, a, a New World Pictures movie, which was his shingle at the time. And he basically, you know, in not so many words, just told her, like, I don't know, do something, show it to me. Um, show me, show me what you got kind of thing. Right. So she dug through some rejected scripts, um, at the company and found one called sleepless nights written by, uh, feminist author, Rita Mae Brown, Mm -hmm. a pretty well-known feminist, um, in the, uh, in the 1960s and seventies. Uh, she was a prolific writer. Uh, who mostly wrote 
uh, novels, um, a lot of a lot of fiction stuff actually, some nonfiction. She occasionally wrote an odd screenplay, and one of those was Sleepless Nights. So, Amy Holden Jones decides, okay, I'm going to throw a hundred, not a hundred, sorry, a thousand dollars at this thing. I'm going to get a bunch of UCLA student actors, non-SAG people, non-union, everything, and I'm going to, you know, use my husband's help, who's a, you know, world-class cinematographer, um, to help me shoot this thing in our house, basically, just like in and around our house, mm-hmm. which was in Venice. California. Uh, they put it together. She showed it to Corman. Uh, she thought it was going to be a jumping off to to try to work on something else, and instead he was like, uh, "Okay, here's X amount of dollars. Shoot the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Make this a feature." And so that's how she ended up directing her first feature. Uh, her husband did not shoot the film. He kind of just helped with the, you know, the uh, test run. Right. And that test run doesn't appear in the movie. It's its no, own separate thing. Yeah. No, no. It is its own separate thing. It was a proof of concept. Uh, and this is the concept. Mm-hmm. The Slumber Party Massacre. Um, there's a lot of talk. So this is, this is a true fact. It was written to be more of a parody than a straightforward mm-hmm. slasher movie. Right. So I feel like you read a lot, you hear a lot about this movie. The first time I watched this movie, which was probably 15 years ago, I did not watch this as a youth. This was one I, I saw for the first time in my, in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, was like, oh yeah, it was written as a, as a comedy and then it became a straightforward slasher movie, which is something I push back on a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, if for no other reason than Amy Holden Jones says this is a comedy. Yeah, uh, it's supposed to be funny. Um, it's not an out-and-out comedy. I don't think anybody's going to make the argument that it's like a broad comedy. But No, there's not really any jokes or mm-hmm. anything. Yes, but uh, in her mind, it's not meant to be taken seriously, per se. Well, I think she succeeds in that in that regard. You're spoiling the second segment, Eric. Well, hey, I no, I didn't know not. No, okay, fine. I thought we discussed this. You are no longer allowed to talk during this segment. Okay. Uh, <laughs> help, vamp for me though. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't. I don't. I was just. I thought that'd be a fun bit. Um. Anyway, I'm committed to the bit, Mike. You're. <laughs> I'm not talking. La- ladies and gentlemen, Eric is. I, well, I can't tell. The depth is tough on this on this video. <laughs> now he's like a full three feet away from his microphone. <laughs> you, you can hear it. You can hear that laughter. It's from far away. I was um, laughing. I was coughing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the movie was shot for just under $250,000. Um, its release uh, was one of the more successful... Uh, premieres of any of Corman's films uh, under New World Pictures. Uh, it made about three and a half million dollars at the box office, uh, which is a fine return on the money. It wasn't a smash hit, but it was certainly profitable. And as you guys know, it spawned a franchise, or else we wouldn't be talking about it. Um, reviews were mixed. Some people kind of appreciated what 
she was going for, they were going for, some people definitely didn't. Um, and um, besides that, here's the thing. We can talk about, there's nobody else really noteworthy from the crew. So mm. we can kind of skip over that. The cast... I did want to say, sorry, not to Mm -hmm. interrupt. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to be talking. Mm -hmm. Amy Holden Jones went on to write like four Beethoven movies. Oh, yeah. So that's a good thing to mention. So she did manage to parlay the success of this movie into a somewhat brief directing career. But then she spun from that into writing, which is where she really found success in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So she did uh, direct two more features in the 80s and then i think one more in the 90s and that was about it but um she made a movie called love letters starring jamie lee curtis a couple years after this and then she did direct one movie that i know i saw on cable when i was a kid but i remember nothing about it it's called made to order it stars Mm. ali sheedy it's sort of like a cinderella riff um and then rich man's wife is her last movie yes for now which is halle berry yeah. Um, but yeah, she wrote Love Letters and Made to Order. And then in 1988, she wrote a little picture called Mystic Pizza, mm. which uh, really introduced the world to Julia Roberts, right? That was sort of a, that was like an outer ring Brat Pack movie, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of the the uh, second team of Brat Packers. Uh, and then, like you said, Eric, she wrote Beethoven. She wrote Indecent Proposal. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big hit. That was a huge hit. She did the not-such-a-huge-hit remake of The Getaway. Uh-huh. Um, she wrote The Relic, yep. which is a horror movie that I think I've mentioned before as being a real missed opportunity. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like it should be a better horror movie than it is. Um, but she, you know Ow. what? She, she didn't fade away. Do you know what she'd been up to for the last five years, Eric? What? She oh. was the creator and showrunner of a Fox hour-long series that I didn't know ever existed. No, called, same, yeah. Called The Resident. Uh, and it, it, is, mean, it seems like it's going on for 107 episodes. Yeah, yeah. It and just... she wrote seven Beethoven movies. <laughs> Holy shit. No, I mean, yeah. like, she has a successful career. Like, yeah. She's doing fine. We can assume that she lives in a bigger house in Venice. Yeah. <laughs> they shot this in. Yeah. <clears throat> Especially combined with her, her husband or yeah. former husbands. Yeah. And he's That's... dead now, so she's got all the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyways, yeah. Cast wise, what I was gonna say is I wanna say that there's only one person in this movie that I had ever heard of or seen in anything else before. Yeah, same. Yeah. And that's probably the same person. Yeah, is who, Eric? Brinky Stevens. Mm-hmm. Scream, scream queen Brinky Stevens. Yes. She screams. She's a queen. Um, but, she, you know, she's honestly not in that many movies that I've seen. But she is in Sorority Babes and Slimeball Bolarama, which yeah. is a, a movie that I really enjoy. Um, Me too. It has some great TNA. Mm-hmm. Just like this one. I don't think I have anything else to add. No, I mean, there's not much to add other Mm -hmm. than um, it really just became a cult hit. Yeah. I mean, I guess the other thing I should say, just to set this theme up, which we will be revisiting 
in the next segment in every movie in this franchise this is this movie was uh amongst horror fans at least like it's noteworthy for being written and directed by women Mm -hmm. uh and that is a trend that this movie would start and was true i know of all three of the original films i don't know much about the new one but i'm gonna assume that they weren't so insane as to say now it's 2022 and we're going to break that uh, streak. <laughs> We're giving this to a man. Finally. It's time to have a somebody with a man's gaze take a crack at this thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll uh, talk about the rest of this movie. Blah. That's a bad, oh. bad way to end this. Segment. Like all of this movie, because we, you know. We're going to start at the beginning of the movie and then talk. We'll talk about the movie. We've already... See, that sort of drives me crazy. Yeah, yeah. We've already been talking about the movie. We'll talk more about this movie. Why don't we... We'll unpack our thoughts on the movie. Plots and thoughts. We've been talking facts about it, and now we're going to talk plot and then thoughts. Plots, thoughts, facts, and jacks. After the break. The basketball team is planning a party. A slumber party. The party begins at 8 o'clock. Love it too. You think I'm getting better? (laughs) But be on the lookout for an uninvited guest. Please, please. (laughs) When the pizza arrives, things really start jumping. Some people may have to leave early, but others will hang around and hang around. You're underage. Negative. Let's go. You're not going to eat that dead guy's pizza. I feel better already. Really, I do. But for those who stay, there'll be plenty of surprises. Non-stop action. One thing's for sure, no one's getting any sleep the night of... The Slumber Party Massacre. Close your eyes for a second and sleep forever. Trish Devereaux, an 18-year-old high school senior, decides to throw a slumber party while her parents are away for the weekend. And their neighbor, Mr. Content, is given the job of checking in on the girls during the night. She awakes to the sound of her radio and gets dressed shortly before going to school. Meanwhile, escaped mass murderer Russ Thorne, with a preference for power drills, kills a telephone repair woman and steals her van. Trish meets up with her friends Kim, Jackie, and Diane, and the girls on her basketball team. The new girl, named Valerie Bates, is invited by Trish, but refuses after hearing Diane talking cruelly about her. Russ Thorne watches the girls leave school 
from the van and a girl named Linda goes back inside the school to retrieve a book for a test, only to be locked inside and attacked by Thorn, who damages her left arm. He eventually hides in the shower room, but the killer finds out where she is due to her blood loss and shortly kills her before escaping to the van. That evening, the party in the bloody decimation of the girls begins. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Whoa. As they smoke marijuana and talk about boys. Maui Wowie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Valerie lives next door and is babysitting her younger sister, Courtney, while their recently divorced mother is away for the weekend with a new boyfriend. Diane's boyfriend, John, and two boys from school named Jeff and Neil arrive and spy on the girls undressing. Thorne attacks and kills Mr. Content with his power drill. Meanwhile, Courtney is begging Valerie to go to the party, but Valerie protests. Diane begins to make out with John in the car, and after she gets out to ask Trish permission to go with him, she comes back to find him decapitated. Diane tries to flee, but is murdered also. While the girls are on the phone with their coach, Miss Jana, the pizza guy is shown with his eyes drilled out. Coach Jana hears the girls screaming and calls Valerie to check on them and decides to drive over to the house to check on them herself. The girls try calling the police, but Thorne cuts the power line before they are connected. The teens arm themselves with knives, and Jeff and Neil try to run for help, but are gorily killed by Thorne. Russ gains entry to the house, murders Jackie, and chases Kim and Trish upstairs. Courtney and Valerie go over to the house, but find the house dark, unaware of the horror that has happened. Trish and Kim have barricaded themselves in Trish's bedroom. They hear Valerie and ignore her, thinking she may be the killer's friend. Thorne unexpectedly, en unexpectedly enters the bedroom through a window and disarms Kim, stabbing her with her own knife and causing Trish to flee and hide. Courtney and Valerie enter Trish's house and find Kim dead. Thorne attacks them, and Valerie escapes to the basement, while Courtney hides under the couch. Coach Jenna arrives and beats Thorne with a fireplace poker, but he quickly murders her. Trish manages to stab Thorne with a butcher knife, but it barely slows him down. Valerie chases Thorne with a machete out the back door and severs both his drill bit and his left hand in the process before he falls into the swimming pool. As as the girls embrace, Thorne arises and attacks the girls before getting impaled onto the machete by Valerie, killing him. During the aftermath, Valerie and Trish break down into tears upon killing Thorne, and Courtney looks on in a state of shock as police sirens are heard in the distance. Okay. There you have it. Blood and guts check. You've been making me go, so I'm going to make you go. Mr. Mike Price, what do you, what was your reaction to watching Slumber Party Massacre this time? My reaction, oh, this yeah. is nerve wracking. I know. Um. Okay. I had a whole ton of fun watching this movie. Um, that's my gut reaction, Eric. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I have seen this. This is maybe the fourth time at most I've seen this. Might be the third time I've seen it. Mm -hmm. Probably haven't watched it in about six or seven years. And like I said, first time I watched it would have been, I'll put it somewhere around 09, 2010 maybe. Um, so, you know, my history with this movie doesn't go back that far. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the first time that I saw it, I thought it was it was decent. I was like, yeah, it's a less forgettable slasher movie. Um, and then I think the next time I saw it, I had I had heard a little bit more about, oh yeah, the original script was written by this like feminist author and it's directed by a woman. And I was like, watched it again. And I was like, oh yeah, you can kind of tell when you watch it. This time through, I feel like I felt it even more in my bones and I really got a kick out of it. Um, and it's interesting because I think, I think a lot of people maybe don't fully buy the, this is a feminist horror movie label for this. Right. Mm. And, and I have contentions with that and I look forward Mm. to discussing them. But before I get into too much depth, what did you think, Eric, watching the Slumber Party Massacre for the umpteenth time? Well, prepare to have that conversation. Because ah. uh, I'll get to it. Um, my thoughts on that. I also have a ton of fun watching this movie. I really, I mean, like, you know, I've, I've maybe even owned it on VHS mm. at one point. Definitely, it's, it's one of those movies that I've bought in every form. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> VHS, DVD, right. Blu-ray. In fact, when I watched it this time, I went downstairs to get my Blu-ray copy. I brought it upstairs, and then, but right before I put it into my PlayStation, I said, "Oh wait, it's on Shutter," <laughs> <laughs> and I just watched it on Shutter. It's <laughs> pretty funny. Um, but then I actually watched like some special features after. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think the movie is just a ton of fun. It inspired a movie that I made that's a mess called psycho (laughs) sleepover um so let's talk about that elephant in the room the feminist yeah reading of it i always thought and still to this day think and also watched it with my wife she was pretty shocked to find it It was written by a woman Mm -hmm. and directed by a woman that it it, i kind of think it doesn't nail its feminist takes Mm -hmm. And also, it ends up being more exploitative than any of the movies it's kind of lampooning. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, let's, I mean, we can have that conversation now or we can wait. It's up to you. Why not? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So, to me, it's like, you know, it's making, it's referencing, you know, Halloween. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would 13. say Halloween is its most, it's, it's, it's the, the straightest line. Yeah. From this to another slasher movie is probably Halloween. I, I do think that Amy Holden Jones set out with the best of intentions, mm-hmm. but it's the Roger Corman of it all that maybe like, even in her talking about the movie, she, like that shower scene, she's like, I didn't want to do mm-hmm. it. I you know, like, that's why we pan down. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, here you go. Here's your nudity. Yeah. But it's like, which is like funny, but I don't know. I don't know if it's actually like helping anybody other than, you know, 16 year old me, 15 year old me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that scene, I guess, because that's a great jumping off point, I think. So I think that the, my first my first thing is like we have to be and this is this is something I think about a lot when I try to make things and as I'm trying to like learn how to 
exist in a world where people are trying to make creative things, but there's just not a lot of room for creativity. Yeah. Um, stuff there, there, there are, there are unavoidable facts about the world and there are unavoidable facts about Hollywood and there are unavoidable facts about slasher and horror movies. Right. And mm-hmm. if you want to mm-hmm. make a horror movie, if you want to make a slasher film in 1982, uh, you're probably going to have to have a bunch of young women. You're almost certainly going to be expected to put some nudity in it. Um, and if you're, unless you're really, really pushing back against the whole system, you know, it's probably going to be a guy chasing down a bunch of ladies for the most part. Yeah. And murdering them. Right. That's, that's the whole thing. That's where we are. We're, 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 we're there. We're in that place where, where those are the movies getting made. Right. So, to me, I don't view this as a, like, Amy Holden Jones was trying to make a great feminist statement and she succeeded. That's not mm-hmm. that's not how I see this movie. I see this movie as a woman wrote a script in the slasher genre that she tried to make, she tried to write with as much as, you know, you could through, through the female gaze. Mm-hmm. Um... And, you know, made something, wrote something that was filmable while still being able, there's like the whole Trojan horse kind of element to a lot of this stuff, right? And then I think Amy Holden Jones comes along and she just, this movie is a feminist movie because she's a woman who, who directs like a woman and who made this movie. That's sure. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can see that the fact that it was made in the in the time and place that it was made mm. by a woman written by a woman is in and of itself a remarkable thing yeah uh and but i mean also i think you know there is this thing there's such a huge chasm between intention and execution and like whatever the finished product of a thing is going to be right mm-hmm. and i don't think I don't think it, they, I mean, for this, the next segment we're going to do, I maybe, can I spoil it? Can I spoil what yeah. we're going to do? So for the third segment, we were going to go back to an old fave, the staff picks where Eric and I pick two more movies that you might want to watch if you liked this or didn't like this. And, you know, I had been looking through a lot of quote unquote feminist horror movies and a lot mm-hmm. of female directed horror movies. And the first thing that I noticed was, I don't think those two lists line up all that well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I think the movies that I that I think about thematically as being sort of the most effectively feminist, a bunch of those movies are directed by men. Sure. Um, some of them are written by women. Some of them aren't. And then a lot of the great horror movies that were directed by women pretty much uh, focus on all the same things that other horror movies focus on. And or, or often they're focusing on men, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes with uh, with a lot to say, and other times it's just like, no, that's just a good horror movie that a woman directed, right? And so if I come back to this, the, this shower scene, right? It's like, uh, it's almost like a semiotics thing, right? At the different levels that you that you kind of process something at, or like, you know. How far along the road is it? And it's like, this movie isn't feminist at its t- at its first level. 
right? The top level of this film. No, I mean, it, it, it's like you said, there's a way to read this where it's like even more exploitative than a Friday the 13th, than a Halloween, right? Mm-hmm. But I think then if you go to the next level, which isn't like deep metaphor, or maybe, maybe, I don't know. I'm making this all up as I go. Uh, and feel free to interrupt me at any time. But uh, Oh, no, I want you to keep digging your hole. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so So if we say that the first level is just the text, right? And then if the second level is like the subtext, which is like a theme, intended metaphor, message, however you want to like interpret that, to your point... I still don't think that this is a super feminist movie. Now, it dabbles in some stuff that none of these other down-the-middle things do. Yeah. Uh, If I can briefly Mm -hmm. interject, and maybe you're getting to this, I think the crowning achievement, and I use achievement Mm -hmm. in quotes, of this movie is the metaphor of the drill as a penis. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what's pointed at a lot in discussion right of this movie mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah i mean it's like it's literally like his dick mm-hmm. like yeah and you could see the same i mean it's it's like taking jason's machete or or michael myers knife even though he doesn't always just use a knife right um and extrapolating it further to something even more phallic and meant mm. to penetrate yes literally penetrative yeah yeah and i think that's kind of where it succeeds the most okay. in, in this way. So let me blow your mind. That, sure, sure. To me, that's level two. That's like intended subtext. Yeah, and I yeah, do yeah. think that it is successful to a degree, but it's pretty simplistic too. It's like, right. yes. it's the kind of thing that a teenage boy can pick up on, right? Exactly, yeah. To me, the third level is the one where we start to fold in reality like we break down the artifice of the film uh like this is the story of the movie and we start to think about the movie as as a movie that was made right Mm -hmm. and then when you go and you watch that shower sequence and you know like so put it this way i had this thought before it was ever confirmed by listening to you know amy holden jones talk about this movie the very first time i ever saw this when you even even then when i only kind of picked up on half of it you watch that camera, like, we get boobs, the woman turns around, then we pan almost robotically down to her butt. We pause yeah. for a half beat, and then we come back up again. It feels so much like a woman saying, all right, you fucking pigs, here you go. Yeah, 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 this yeah. is the least erotic way I can give you this thing that I am almost contractually obligated to give you. To me, it feels like there's so much judgment in the way that's shot. It's like uh-huh. it's interesting, and and to me, that is it. That got in my head pretty early on this viewing, and then as I've watched the whole thing, if you watch the whole thing and you just think about it, like you don't look for the theme so much as you just think, what was Amy Holden Jones thinking when she shot this scene? Right, and I and I think. Oh, go ahead. No, no. And I just to end, I'll say, and I think that to me is what made it a really rich watch this time through. And you you also see it because another major scene of nudity is when the boys are spying, mm-hmm. which was something we directly ripped off for Street Team Cycle Sleepover. I mean, which is a movie that I actually wouldn't recommend. I don't think it's very good. <laughs> okay. Um, but, you know. 
Um, in our movie, the guys jack off. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Uh, so in that scene too, it's it's it is like, all right, here's your fucking literally here's your male gaze, mm-hmm. and here's these women acting in a very heightened way that no women act like women in, don't at a sleepover don't just right. like, okay it's time for our jammies right. and like strip nude to put on 90s you know yeah. revealing 90s yeah um and then also um oh shit there was what was the other moment i had oh there's the whole thing with um the sister mm-hmm. valerie and her sister and i think that's kind of where also the movie sort of succeeds although i do think those scenes are weird okay where the sisters talk like she's reading playgirl right there she's talking about jerking off Mm -hmm. and all this stuff there's the the little sisters like horny right um and like in the way that a young person is Mm -hmm. and and um so i think there's that, that that squirminess is sort of effective mm-hmm to like throw it back into the audience faces a little bit. Does that make sense? It does. Although I don't know that I would say I, I, I probably wouldn't use the word squirmy for myself to describe that scene. I would, I kind of, I, I kind of just thought it was erotic. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I'm a man. I'm always going to be a man. Probably most likely this is this. That's how I grew up culturally that's how i was raised you know in terms of gender identity that's how i identify but you know at least for most of my life i've tried as best i can to imagine what it would be like to not possess only the male gaze right Mm -hmm. um to me it's just like you know it's an extension of empathy right of any kind of empathy where it's like I as as a as a filmmaker, I always aspire to like I I want to kind of understand how other people feel who aren't like me, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I watched that scene, I was just like, yeah, this is just a very it's an almost pedestrian scene between two teenage girls, one older and one younger, um, and it's completely unremarkable in its content. And it's completely remarkable in its sheer existence in a movie like this in 1982. Yeah, yeah. And again, so I agree that I think it's it's it is feminist in its own way, and I think it's successful. But I almost it's the kind of thing where you go, this shouldn't be remarkable, but it is. Yeah. Well, and I think part of what I'm saying about squirminess of it has to do partially with the actor cast as uh-huh. the as the the sister. Mm-hmm. In her performance, which is strange, she's playing. She's she's like an eight. She's like an eighteen-year-old playing a thirteen-year-old playing a (laughs) seven-year-old. Like it's weird. It's strange. It's a strange performance. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, like the whole sexual nature of it is just like. How old is she? Like I don't know. It it makes it makes me a little. And I, you know, obviously, like women talking about masturbation stuff does not make me uncomfortable. But just like that performance in particular, just something. Like my wife was also like, "How how the fuck old is she supposed to be?" Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. She's not the best conceived character in this. Um, Let me just hit on some other things. I'm sorry. She's not the best conceived character. 
But actually, I think she's one of the more interesting parts of the movie. Uh-huh. It's like a it's a really interesting viewpoint in this film that you don't really see that sort of character in other slasher movies. Yeah. You know, like this like little sister mm-hmm. who's like, yeah, I want to go. I want to go party with the people too. Like, like I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting age to to capture in this kind of movie. What you just said, I think, kind of brings me back around to a, a, another larger point that I wanted to make, which was. Although I am ready and willing and happy to defend this movie as being, you know, successfully feminist, whatever that means. Um, I also, like, the reason that I enjoyed it so much is more just because of things like that where where you kind of said you just don't see that a lot in movies. And it's not even so much mm-hmm. a gendered thing as it is it's just like... Almost every other slasher movie, except for the the best ones that we we cherish and we talk about and we rewatch, it's like they're very very cookie cutter. This is probably the most repetitive genre subgenre within horror that we're ever. Yeah, about, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And so to just have things like that in it, it's like this movie wasn't as nearly as boring as a lot of the other slasher movies I've watched. No, right. Sorry, if if you have more. No, no, sorry. go ahead. No, 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 no. Oh, I was just say, yeah, I like let's go back to our re- initial mm-hmm. reaction to it. I think this movie is a blast. Yeah, I love watching it. Um, even though it does drag in the middle, mm-hmm. it kind of always has. Uh, in my in like in my opinion of it, it's just so fun. And yeah. it's like I, it's the setting is is great. Like the time period that it's shot in, the clothes are great. Mm-hmm. The um, it's not scary, so it's like I was yeah. trying to think of like how do I, how do I explain why I like this movie to somebody who might be a, a casual horror fan? Mm-hmm. Like, I was that's kind of because like my wife is more of a casual horror fan than me. She doesn't get off on camp and like cheesy, like you know, right? Because I, I don't want to say that this this movie is not as so bad. It's good. No, it's good. Despite the fact that it's kind of bad, you know what I mean. Just yeah, that makes sense. I think that does make sense. Yeah, and well, it goes back almost to something that we started talking about on the very first episode of this podcast, which was, um, I think we kept coming back to this idea of a point of view and a yeah. distinctive voice, and you know, male or female. I think Amy Holden Jones and Rita Mae Brown, for whatever degree of her script was still alive, you know, in the shooting script, like it's just, it's just different. It's a, it's a slasher movie that hits almost all the same beats as a regular slasher movie, but it just feels like it's coming from somebody else, and it feels like it's coming from somewhere else. And there's a million things that I could point to that are like pretty small things, but. You know, they just, it zigs when you think it's going to zag a little bit. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like you get introduced to this uh, neighbor right away, Mr. Content, yeah. right? Content. Who's it's just. A name that's never been said before. Yeah. Who's <laughs> like his. <laughs> that's very true. Is it constant? Is it contact? Yeah, it's. What it's is like, it? No, it's neither. It's Content. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, his his whole little mini arc is just kind of odd and. And and to me, ultimately, I got I sort of chuckled at it, 
Yeah. Which is just like, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, you think he's going to be a pervert. Right. First, but he's not. First, you're like, maybe he's the murderer. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you're like, no, they show the murderer pretty early on in the movie, which is another interesting choice that this guy is just a dude and you see him in the first 10 minutes. And he's not wearing a mask. Yeah. He's just a dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Mr. Content comes back again, and you think he's going to, like, skis on these girls, right? He sneaks up on them smoking pot, and you're like, oh, here we go. Now he's going to be a yeah. creep. And again, he's just kind of like, he does what an adult should do in that situation, which is like, yeah. I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. That's exa- I was, He turns out to be, like, one of the more realistic yeah. horror movie characters ever. Yeah. Where he's just, like, a normal guy. Who, like, if one of us were to have, like our friends with our neighbors mm-hmm. and their teenage daughter had her friends over right. and we'd be like, ah, they're up to their thing. Yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah. If I was forced I to interact snails. with them while they were drinking and smoking, I would make one joke and then I would leave. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, continue. But I think, I, th- I think there's lots of little moments like that, that just make this a little more interesting than just any yeah. run of the mill slasher. I laughed about the opening sequence where, um, fuck, we, Trish, Trish. We, yeah. Before we started recording, we were ta- talking about how, like, we just can't keep any of their names straight. <laughs> but, yeah, when Trish is, like, throwing out her childish things, <laughs> and then, but also, like, yeah. getting naked. Yeah. It's so funny. Like, it's like, today of all days is the day she's getting rid of all of her teddy bears. Yeah. The one that she won't let go of. Well, and that's that, um, that humor element. It's like, you, mm-hmm. you can tell at least i think if you're watching closely enough how much of this stuff is is kind of tongue-in-cheek yeah um i also like the storytelling of the radio and the newspapers that's happening Mm -hmm. behind the scene like in the background a little bit yeah where um like the characters aren't really paying attention to it but we are i was i'm just a sucker for that shit yeah um one gripe I do have is all of the actors in the movie feel like they're all within five years of each other. <laughs> like the mother looks oh, just yeah. like Trish. Right. The coach the, is the coach is also just like maybe she's thirty and the rest of the cast is twenty five. Right. You know? <laughs> if you told me Trish and Mr. Content were married, I'd be like, sure. Yeah. yeah, but whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that was something that my wife and I were laughing at while watching. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, there's a uh, what was I gonna say? There's there's another thing. It, it you know what it reminded me almost a little bit of is when when we watched Halloween ends and had such a different opinion on that movie as most like the majority of vocal moviegoers did. Yeah. My feeling was, I feel like this movie is really funny in a bunch of places where it's almost hard. It's like almost impossible for me to explain what the joke is and why it's funny. And I would probably lose that argument if it was like, how is that funny? And I'd be like, I don't know. It just is. Don't you kind of get how it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I completely agree. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of stuff like that in this movie. Um, totally. Yeah, like, like, like I was saying, I was watching it. My wife has watched it. It's like mm-hmm. the second time she's watched it with me. I don't think she remembers the first time. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, and she was just like, you know, thought it was funny, but I was like, no, nah, it's just like, you know, it's a little bit better than you're giving it credit for. But yeah, it's also stupid, right? Know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and um, it threads an interesting needle. It does. And I kind of get people not responding to it all that much. I think, you know, again, for me, it was this was a viewing that elevated its status in my mind. Like before mm-hmm. I watched this, I would have just told you, yeah, yeah, I think it's fine. And then, you know, again, I don't think this is a spoiler really because I haven't watched it yet. But if you would ask me, I'd be like, well, the two, that's the one that's like really that's kind of good or like that's interesting interesting yeah Yeah. um but to go back and watch this one i was like no actually this is it's more fun than it is like uh moving or profound or or again interesting but i i do think it's kind of interesting but i think really where it succeeds the most is by just being watchable by being entertaining yeah um what is shit i'm trying to search for a turn of i'm trying to remember Mm -hmm. a turn of phrase and maybe it'll come into me by the time it's wrap-up time but if not you'll hear me stumble about it there (laughs) um the uh um i do think i said before one of the weaker parts of the movie is kind of the middle Mm -hmm. where everybody's scaring each other yeah it's it's like you're because tr- there's the real killer out which our main characters aren't really paying attention to yeah so we as the audience know he's out there somewhere but then they're just like forever going outside to like check out a you know a cat knocking over a a fucking garbage can right. or a snail or something um and that that part starts to drag a little bit but then it kind of makes it up for it with like nudity, and then all of a sudden the pizza man arrives with no eyes. It's like it's like, you're never like it, even the most boring parts. Yeah. Are like you're never like that bored for long. And then they eat pizza from an open box balanced that is on funny. his chest. Yeah, he's like, I am pretty hungry. <laughs> like, that's, I love that. Yeah, um, little things. The hot blonde telephone repair one. Oh my god! Yeah. I don't. I can't even tell you that I really get it, no, quote unquote. But I like it. I think it's. I think it's funny, and I don't know why, but I do I, find it amusing. I also like that either Jeff or Neil. I'm not sure which one's which. Is like, would you consider going out with a younger guy? Yeah, and she's kind of like, eh, maybe. <laughs> she kinda, <laughs> she's like yeah. sort of humoring it. Yeah. Um. I also wanted to talk about how there's a. There's something special with these two male boys, the teen boy characters. (laughs) And, I mean, they are... Okay, so first of all, like, there is a scene, there's a, where it, like, seemed to me like they were about to kiss. Um, The boys. Yes, the boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they are, like, just basically making their like death pact and they're scared and sitting on a bed next to each other and their faces get really close and they get very serious. They're like holding each, holding themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And then the scene ends and nothing happens, but there's literally a frame where it's like, this is shot. Like they're about to kiss. I wish they would have. Yeah. That would be, that would be very funny. It would be funny, but then I think it would sort of, it would blow up the, the, the way this movie functions which is yeah, kind yeah. of always a little bit under the radar. Um, 
that would tell us too much about what what they're doing i almost feel um, um one sequence that really stands out to me is the ending i think the mm -hmm. ending rules yeah like that whole final fight between uh russ and the three survivors two survivors three, three. Survivors. it's yeah, the coach the, the, and trish and val yeah. which no coach dies but valerie and trish in the sister does the coach die or does she just get stabbed she and then they slashed. leave the room yeah I, I i don't know i think it's up for debate i countered her amongst the dead but okay. uh, it's you look at her wound it's not doesn't seem like it would be a killer yeah it's a slash across the stomach which is stomach bad yeah. but also it's like well yeah, I mean, we could stitch you. I think I I I read her as being completely incapacitated. That was yeah. that was my read on it. That makes sense. But anyways, Trish and Val are the two that you're referring to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really like that sequence. Um, like with the chopping off of his hand, mm -hmm. cutting off the, the drill bit, him falling in the water and mm -hmm. the blood. Yeah, blood and water always looks good. Absolutely. We learned that from Jaws. It looks great. Honestly, anytime you can take a horror movie into a swimming pool at night, I think it's a good. Yeah. I think it's a good move. It's a good move. It's like the cheapest way to get really interesting lighting. It's just like, well, a lit pool looks interesting. You know. Yeah. Totally. Um. No, I'm with you, and I think that there's something about the way that ending is paced out that I find really satisfying, um, where instead of feeling like, a, it's over, it's not over, it's, oh, he's dead, no, he's not dead, it's like, we get a little bit of that, but it, it it's not, like, relying super heavily on those beats, instead, yeah. it's like, it's, there, it changes, like, the, just what's happening changes, right, first, it's Trish, just trying to fight this guy off with what's her name? Is it Kim? Is that the uh, the last Trisha girl? Valerie. No, the last girl who dies. Oh yeah, Kim. Yeah. So it, Kim's in the fridge. Um. Okay, so who's left with her before? There's someone else uh, with her at the end. Jackie dies. Then it's no, yeah, you know, Kim's the last one. She's like in the room with her. Okay. The bedroom, and then Kim gets stabbed and gets hidden yeah yeah i think kim's the last one okay before. the way i'm remembering it is that it gets down to trish and kim they get chased upstairs and they go into the bedroom um and then they they like bar themselves behind the door um and then eventually he breaks his way through they like knock him out and then they're sort of trying to escape he kills kim and then, mm -hmm. so that's when, so there's all this stuff that's going on now at the, at what's the climax of the film, which is like Valerie and her sister are, have just come into the house. Um, and the sister's hiding underneath the couch. Right. And the coach shows up at the same time mm -hmm. and she gets fucking, you know, like we said, slashed with the drill across her stomach. Right. And the fact that Courtney's just, like, hiding under the couch this whole time, um, right? That's the sister? Yeah. And, like, she doesn't actually do anything. She She's just, like, her job is to hide under the couch and watch and be terrified. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And then... Yeah, I mean, she, she's a young kid. Right. Like, or she's a kid. She's, that's what she should be doing. And, and the way it's almost like it's sort of a handoff, like, they keep handing it off. It's like the coach comes, and the coach is beating the shit out of him with a fire poker. But then she gets nailed and so all of a sudden 
Trish comes running in with a knife and she stabs him and we think he's dead. And then he gets the coach with the drill and then she goes, but then Val comes in and kills him with the machete. It goes after him with the machete. And it's just like, it's a, it felt, you know, it felt like the Avengers assemble sequence uh-huh. <laughs> in Endgame, right? Like, it's like a less dumb version of when all the 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 60 seconds when all the female like avengers get to work together get to, to fight each other no fight yeah. alongside each other right yeah 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 and it's like that was such a dumb like audience what what's the word I'm the term I'm forgetting the fan fan service moment yeah yeah that was just like stupid and this is like well this is like the fun version of that where it is just like this this guy's getting bounced around between four different women and keeps getting knocked out and and you know ultimately does bite it and obviously he does take at least one more if not two more of them with him but i think it's a fun sequence and it's and it's just like it's it's unique it stands out in the genre um i guess this will be my final question mm-hmm. until we move on uh what did you think of the killer himself because that's another one of the things i don't know that i love like his look mm-hmm. his presence um, did you know that he based his movements on a peacock <laughs> yeah i did hear that yeah 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 um i think he's fine i think in some ways he's successful because he is so generic yeah, yeah. so that all of the focus is just on his drill that's a good point, actually, that I never thought yeah. of. It's like he's not wearing a mask, so you really are just focused on. I think he just look, kind of looks too cool. <laughs> like he's wearing like a jean jacket and a red you shirt. You like wish he was pants. more of a freak, kind of. Or just like it, lean, lean more into the plainness. I don't know. See, I, I, I think there's it's not a huge. I think there's something to that, though. I think I don't think it's an accident that he doesn't look like a freak. I think mm-hmm. I think it's at least a little bit deliberate that he looks like a guy who fucks. Yeah, he does look like a guy who fucks, yeah. Because, you know, again, that's that's the most accessible metaphor of this whole movie, right? Is he just... looks like a guy who fucks in the movie cruising. <laughs> <laughs> like he should be wearing aviators yeah. on cop night. I mean, he's one of many characters in this movie who's maybe a little gay coded. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But Especially, oh yeah, super, the coach is very The coach is the biggest lesbian ever, and I love it. Um, yeah, me too. She's like, have you seen my cat? <laughs> <laughs> I laughed about that. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, I, I'm with you that he's like, he's not super interesting. Um, I think the performance is whatever. It's fine. I don't have complaints about it, really. It's, But I, I do feel like, in a way... He he his mediocrity and sort of serves the movie better because sure because it's not supposed to be none of this is supposed to be about him right it's a mm-hmm. it's about the girls and then it's also about his uh, killer dick. Well, speaking of killer dicks, let's talk about the things that it killed. And by things, I mean people. They're people. They're not <laughs> objects. Um. We have the phone repair woman who dies in her van. I like that sequence. Didn't yeah. say that when you see her like in the background, like smacking on the glass and getting attacked. Linda Brinky Stevens gets killed in the shower room. 
Mr. Content gets drilled through the neck while hunting snails. Um, oh, yeah, the snail a boy, hunting. The snail, yeah, it's like, just use salt, dude. It's fucking um, weird. Yeah. It's really weird. And she's like, oh, my father does that, too. <laughs> like, really? Um, the boyfriend, whose name I forget, gets beheaded in the car. Diane then follows suit and dies in the garage. The pizza man appears with his eyes drilled out. Jeff gets drilled. The dude, um, Neil, gets stabbed on Valerie's lawn. Jackie gets her throat slit by the drill. Kim gets stabbed and hidden in the fridge. The coach may or may not die, but she gets slashed across the stomach. Then the killer himself gets uh, his hand cut off, slashed on the stomach, and then run through with the machete. Mike, what was your favorite death? Hmm. Yeah, I should have picked one before. That's a mistake I make often. I just get so wrapped up in other things. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite death... I'm trying to think of the one that leaves the biggest impression on me. Um... Because what's interesting is the thing that I remembered from from not having seen this for six or seven years was uh, what's her face being stuffed in the in the fridge, which isn't even uh-huh. the death. It's like her coming out of the fridge is like a good kind of jump scare moment. Um, so, for lack of a better answer, which I blame myself for, uh, I'll go with that. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go with the, uh, the killer himself. Sure. Dispatch at the end of yeah. the sequence we just talked about. Uh, I like that. I also like the pizza man, even though he dies off screen. Zombie thumbs up or down. Is this movie gory? Medium, yeah. medium, medium gory? gory. Yeah. It's like not, it's not the kind of, um, violent FX sort of showcase that like a Friday the 13th movie tends to be. Right. Um but it's, you know, it's violent and it's It's bloody, it's, it's violent, bloody. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'd say thumbs up. It's gory. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah, not a ton of bloody guts, but gets the job done. Uh ghost thumbs up or down is this movie scary? I alluded to this earlier. No, I don't think this is a scary movie. Yeah. Not really. I mean, it's too fun to be scary. Yeah. Although that's that's unfair cuz there are some very fun movies that are also scary. But yeah, it's there, there's not a lot of tension. Yeah, it's too tongue in cheek to be scary. Yeah. Then finally, wed bed no slash smash or crash. Should we do the Jaws stuff that I came up with now that Jaws is over? Oh yeah, what was it? It was uh... it was Nash, Thrash, and Splash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Nash being the worst. Yeah, that's kill. Thrash being the middle. The Mary. Yeah, no, 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 no. that's yeah, fuck. Fuck, yeah. fuck. And then Splash being. Mary. So we're late on this. We apologize. Yeah. This should have been a rating for Jaws. <laughs> but Mike came up with it after we recorded. <laughs> so maybe. The last episode. So just for the Slumber Party Massacre series. Yeah, yeah, just for the Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah. And then maybe we'll explore another rating system yeah. after this. Okay, so um, so Thrash is kill. 
No. Sla- no. Nash's Nash. kill, yeah. thrashes <laughs> fuck, and yeah. splashes Mary. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Got yeah, it, yeah. okay. What about, um, what do you think, Eric? So, the phrase that I was trying to think of earlier was that I think this movie is the platonic ideal of a fun slasher mm. from the 80s. Okay. It's really my it's the movie that I will grab off the shelf when I just want something light, not scary, mm-hmm. but it, it it hits all the it plays all the right notes for me when I'm looking for something yeah. that has some kills, it has some nudity, it has it looks fun. Um it's one that I keep coming back to through the years. And, you know, part of that is because it is a sleazy movie. Mm-hmm. I think that's fun. Yeah. I enjoy that about it. Do I think it's a great all-timer horror movie? No. It's not going to make the murderer's row for me. Mm. But I think it's a, a ton of fun. And uh, I will continue to revisit it through the rest of my life, which, well, I mean, maybe I won't have a ch- chance to if uh between now and next month but we'll see <laughs> just kidding i'm gonna live forever uh so i am going to give this a splash <laughs> i'm going to splash upon it it's like uh, it's Mike. like you imagine his little his like little <laughs> fin what's the fin on the side dorsal isn't that no isn't that the back it's one? on the top yeah one of the, the side uh, fins yeah and he just kind of like he he rolls over and shows his belly like a dog and then he Smacks his fin in the water and splashes you a little bit, like a seal, like a tree yeah. seal, or, yeah, or an orca. Right. Yeah, yeah. Jaws. Uh, we're being specifically. We're talking about Jaws. The Jaws, shark. though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So what Eric, are you? Eric's gonna splash. Um, splash. Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty effusive in my praise, and it's it's almost one of those things where it's like now that the the this segment's coming to an end, I'm like. I almost want to say like, hey, I don't think this movie is like a fucking Hall of Famer or anything. Yeah. Um, it's just that I, to your point, it it is there is a sort of I think you really nailed the nailed it on the head that there's something satisfyingly platonically just down the middle slasher about this, and I was thinking before, you know. We, we got together today kind of like my, my highest praise for the movie is so it's, it has more DNA in common probably with Halloween than anything else, but it's also like, it's, it's certainly informed by the Friday the 13th movies too. Um, if you just plugged this movie into the middle of the Friday franchise and it was Jason and with a but he was doing a bunch of dick stuff with a drill like this Mm -hmm. would immediately be in contention for one of the top three friday the 13th movies sure like it's more satisfying than a lot of those films yeah and halloween this is like there are there are there are further installments in the halloween franchise that i like a lot right halloween three being the the biggest example right uh, but it, Halloween three is a completely different movie, right? Yeah. It, it has it's so little to do with the first Halloween. It's just good in its own right. And then, you know, Rob Zombie sort of starts all of these 
sequel, reboots, remakes, all of these things that happened for the last 15 years, right? But for the proper Halloween sequels, which I guess is up until, what is it? What's after H2O? It's the, or um, the terrible one with Buster Rhymes. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Re- re- yeah, Survival, not... Redemption. Resurrection? Resurrection, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that movie sucks, okay? But from the original Halloween to that movie, which is when they were trying to maintain some sort of continuity of sequels, and then obviously, you know, Halloween 2018 is a sequel, but it breaks the continuity and all that. Anyways, this is I'm going on such a long tangent, I apologize, everybody. But what I was going to say is, if you take out Halloween 3, which isn't really a sequel to Halloween, and you look at that run from Halloween all the way to Halloween Resurrection. Yeah. This movie would be, if you plugged it into the franchise, it would be the only movie that actually functioned like a sequel to Halloween that you might actually enjoy. It would be the only fun one. It, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. A, that's a series that never had much fun with itself. Yeah. Uh, except for three, and I would argue ends yeah yeah i and 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 that's the thing too is it's just like halloween's formula is so simple yeah uh there's a lot of difference in terms of villains so that would be the biggest change right that that the halloween franchise is so concerned with michael myers and the myers family Mm -hmm. um that this movie would never qualify because you'd have to introduce a whole bunch of dumb fucking lore about mm-hmm. the Myers clan uh, and, and, you know, Trish would have to be his cousin or something. And, mm-hmm. um, but as just a movie where a slasher chases around a bunch of teenagers, a bunch of attractive teenage women uh, in a residential neighborhood in people's houses, like this is like a successor to Halloween and it's more successful than almost all of the other successors to Halloween it's not nearly as good of a movie as Halloween is, but mm. it's like you say platonic slasher. And for me, it's like, yeah, it's if you were making me a dumb, if you were telling me, Hey, we're going to make a sequel and I know it's going to be lower quality. This is how I want it to be lower quality. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like yeah. the same stuff, not nearly as serious, goofier, more nudity, but yeah. it has a sense of humor about itself. I, I don't know. It's just super, uh, it's super enjoyable. And so, Yes, I roll to the other side and splash you with Jaws's other fin. <laughs> Congratulations, Slumber Party Masker. You're getting a splash from both of us. <laughs> um, all right, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and talk about some more feminist horror movies. Thank you. 
Okay, we're back. Um, there's a segment that we haven't done in a while that we're about to do called Staff Picks. This is like going to the video stores of yesteryear where maybe uh, staff would curate a section. If you like this movie, well, maybe you should check out this movie. Mm -hmm. And this time we're doing other feminist horror movies that you might be interested in if you are inst into that concept. Maybe not this necessarily if you love Slumber Party Massacre, but if you're like, hey, what are some other movies that could be considered feminist? Sure. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you, what, you want me to kick it off? Yeah, why don't you first start it up there? Pickaroo. Iraq. Um, this one is, you know, it's a, it's a shocker. Mm. It's a, it's a real, real hard to watch movie. Uh, it is Takashi Miike's audition, mm -hmm. which I think is a brilliant movie that you think is a uh, romantic comedy through most of it, or not a comedy, just like a romantic movie where men are viewing women as objects. And then, mm -hmm. hey, you know what? Things go horribly awry. Things for that change. Said man. Huh? Things change. Yeah. Um, it's one of the, like, our our friend, friend of the show, Jim Hall, saw a man get up and pass out during this when he saw it in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that yeah, that's gonna be my number one pick, and uh, yeah, the power dynamic. Let's just say it shifts a bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Um, okay. Uh, for my first one, I was actually going to throw out something that I saw last year. Um, a movie that came out last year. Um, but you know, I do want to sort of go back to, and I was saying to Eric before we started the segment, something that I was afraid to share with you, the audience, because I thought it would make me look bad, but you know what? I'm an honest man. So he doesn't like women. That's not true. Okay. That's not true. Um, That's shared with me. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> I'm kidding. He did not say that. Mike is an ally. What a jerk face. Um, One of the architects in there. <laughs> that there, <laughs> there are um, a number of, if you go looking around to see what other people's takes are for like best feminist horror movies, there's a lot of very recent stuff on there, and that makes sense because of the way that things are changing in Hollywood. And I will admit that I am much more well-versed in the horror films of, let's say, the mid-aughts to the mid-70s than I am in, any, in most of anything that came out in the last 20 years. That's not to say that I haven't seen lots of recent horror movies. It's just my... I would say that my knowledge is nowhere near as wide spanning. Yeah. Um, and so there's a bunch of movies that pop up on these lists that I'm like, well, I should see that. You know, I've never seen that. I'm not going to name a bunch of them because I feel like I'll say one of your remaining picks. Probably um, not. Okay. Well then, um, yeah, I mean like a movie that I've been meaning to watch for a long time that keeps coming up is, uh, a girl walks home alone at night. Um, mm -hmm. which I've just not seen. I've never seen raw. Um, these are two movies that get brought up to me all the time. And I'm like, shit. Yeah. I have to see that. Peek behind the curtain mm -hmm. that a girl walks home alone at night was going to be one of my picks. Um, but then I just at the, before he even said it yeah. at the last minute decided to pivot. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not while I was talking. 
No, 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 no. Okay, no, no. great, great. Um, so that's one kind of snag, and then the other one is uh, what I did. What I said before, I think that probably the best argument against my take that was like it was hard to find a lot of movies that were both directed by women and like pretty strong feminist films. And what I mean by pretty strong is not just clearly feminist, but also like strong films, like movies that I really like a lot. Um, I feel like there's, you know, the overlap is smaller. So I'll start with just a movie directed by a woman that I think is really great. Um, and I think that when you, it, it's, it is so hyper fixated on a man but in a way that I think says a lot, uh, I think it's about as feminist as you can be making a film entirely about uh, a straight white man. And that is American mm. Psycho, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people, most people have probably seen. So I'm also not like, hey, you should dig deep in the archives and find this yeah. one. Um, but I just think that that movie in particular um well, first of all, like I'm, uh, I'm a fan of Mary Heron in general. Um, she's done some some pretty interesting stuff that I that I've liked quite a bit. But it's um, it's a movie that that is so uh, apt at outlining what a toxic man looks like. Yes, <laughs> that even though that women only really show up you know, sporadically throughout the film and, and, and they're usually just victims. Um, it's, it's so damning that I think it, it succeeds very much as a feminist text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a great pick. I like that movie. I actually been meaning to rewatch it. Um, I was trying to, uh, what else? Oh, I shot Andy Warhol, right? That was mm-hmm. another, um, yeah. Betty, the Betty page movie, which I uh, think was yeah. better than it got credit for. I didn't see that. Um, there's one more movie of hers that I liked. I forget that. The Anna Nicole story. That's interesting. <laughs> I don't think it was that one. This film was not yet rated. Anyway, um, so for my next pick, um, oh, I do want to say A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is really a very cool movie. Yeah. Um, it's a slow burn, so that's kind of why I, at the last minute, decided to, mm-hmm. to move away from it and to give something that has a little more thrills um the rape revenge genre has never been one of my favorites um i think it's a it's uncomfortable yeah it's usually told from the point of view of a man i mean by a male director yeah um and like recently i tried to watch miss 45 and bailed after like 10 minutes it's like i don't want to see this Mm -hmm. it's a mute woman who's getting repeatedly raped and anyway Mm -hmm. um and like her being mute was even like I don't know, make I kind of see what you're doing here, but fuck it, I don't want to see it. Sure. A rape revenge movie that I will stand by is Revenge, uh, which is directed by uh, a, a woman and written by a woman. Uh, Cor- uh, I don't even I'll I'll mangle her name, but Coralie Fargeet, I want to say is her okay. name. Um, and it is brutally violent and pretty fun realistic ways okay uh, and obviously yes there is a rape in the movie that doesn't shy away from that uh there might even be a two now that i think about it but 
but the revenge that she enacts among on the people who do it to her is pretty satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of ultimately what you want from that genre, which is a queasy genre. Not to reuse that word I used earlier, but it's it's one of the few that I can be like, yeah, actually, that's a good one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eric, are you sure it's the movies or do you just need to get yourself some Pepto-Bismol? <laughs> I feel fine. <laughs> I feel like you're feeling queasy a lot. Look queasy. Yeah. Pepto Bismol doesn't do much for me. But if I'm like actually sick, yeah. Anyway. Um. Yeah. It helps. It helps me. Who gives a shit? Eric? I. What the fuck? <laughs> what is your fucking problems? It helps me when I'm when I run into those issues. I yeah. think a stomach ache. You know, it's good for a stomach ache. Sure. <sighs> Sorry. Um. Okay. So. My second pick is one that I went back and forth on a lot because, you know, I I basically said, should I pick uh, what I think is a really incredible feminist movie that just so happens to be directed by a man? Uh, mm-hmm. Or should I pick this other movie that is maybe not quite as incredible, but is like very good and directed by a woman and has a very strong feminist statement. Basically what I'm saying is no woman has ever made a horror movie as good as a man. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. But I, I realized that, you know, name one, there's a way. <laughs> it's like that Billy on the street. Yeah. Name a woman, <laughs> <laughs> name any woman. Uh, um, okay. So, uh, I did settle on a male-directed film. Uh, and is it lame that it's also something we've covered? Like, for staff picks, is it supposed to be, like... No, it's no. fine. Okay. It's Ginger Snaps. I don't yeah, yeah. I don't know how Ginger Snaps isn't, like... It's, it's, in, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really good. It's about the relationship... And, it, you know, it's written by a woman. So that, you know, obviously has a lot to do with how well it nails these dynamics between sisters Mm -hmm. uh, about coming of age in literally in like physical sense. And Mm -hmm. just like that, something that feels so honest about that, that dynamic between two sisters with very different kinds of personalities. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think that's something that just, you know, is unique to that relationship. Um, it's, and it's just really like a really wonderful film. And so, yeah, I think, I think even though it's one that we covered almost entirely because we liked that movie, right. Cause the, you know, the sequels are okay, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a classic. And if you haven't seen it, you really should. Yeah. It's really good. Um, it's one of the early movies we covered too. So it's a complete, a yeah. little bit of a different format to a show mm-hmm. but if you haven't seen it i recommend watching it and listening to the episode um yeah. it's it's one of the one of the kill streak faves um, all right well there you have it well hold on hold on now just because i said all right there well, you have it. well you get to throw out an extra you know sort of quasi recommend all right. uh so i just it. wanted to throw out a, an honorable mention and this uh is a movie that i just saw last year um called watcher which i talked about briefly on the show Oh but, yeah, I never saw that. Yeah, it's directed by Chloe Okuno and it's 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 pretty good. I liked it quite a bit and yeah, it certainly qualifies I think for for this category 
and um, and it stars Micah Monroe, who we all like very much. So I do, yeah, yeah. I think that one's worth checking out. I mean, there's an argument to be made for another Micah Monroe movie. It follows, yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, that's maybe more just about sex in general, not less. Sure. Well, it's yeah, women. It's kind of feminist. Yeah, yeah. Well, Eric, would you say that men are actually better at making feminist horror? I would. Say- <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't put words, words in my mouth but you know okay, cool. um, alright there you have it thanks so much for listening join us next week for Slumber Party Massacre 2 which is streaming in the same places that you watched this Slumber Party Massacre mm-hmm. um, you can write to our socials at killstreakpod at gmail.com if you want to write us an email um, follow us on Instagram at killstreakpod Scott does a great job running that. Oh, by the way, somebody uh, sent to that account pictures of your face tattooed on their body. Oh, God, that's right. I forgot about this. Yeah. Uh, somebody um, got a uh, a Yeti 2, Yeti, another yeah. Yeti love story. The rare Yeti 2 tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> and we've had a, I've had a couple, not an eye, but... There's been a couple of Yeti one tattoos, but this is the first Yeti two tattoo. Yeah. And it's good. They did a good job. It's very high quality. And yes, technically it's a Yeti's face. It's not yeah. my face, but right, it is right, the character right. that I portrayed in that film. Um, yeah. So that was a pretty special moment for me. I think it's the, that's the kind of thrill that I didn't expect to get much uh, as a married man. Um, yeah. But uh, now I can say that, yes, a, uh, uh, a, a a very cool and and attractive person has to be tattooed on their body, so that makes me pretty cool and attractive. I want to give a shout out to to Mike Taylor who designed. Like, it was a concept that I not to brag concept <laughs> I came up with, but um, Mike Taylor actually executed and did a phenomenal job. It's if you haven't seen it, it's it's based off of the Stanley Kubrick poster uh, for Lolita <laughs> with like the heart shaped glasses, but it's a yeah. Oh, a Yeti sucking on a heart-shaped lollipop with glasses. <laughs> or, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, shout out there. Yeah. I want to do one more shout out to to, uh, to frequent listener, fan of the show, a friend of ours, Mitch, uh, who did send me some extra uh, homework, uh, but some, mm. some, very, some useful behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, and he is also... The one, Eric, you caught me when we started the pod, uh, right before we started recording. I was reading my copy of Men, Women, and Chainsaws by Carol uh, yeah. Clover, which was a gift from Mitch. Um, That's a great gift. It, I read that in college. Yeah, it's it's a great book. Uh, I've referred to it many times since I read it. And yeah. um, But I will say also, Mitch gave Slumber Party Massacre two stars on Letterboxd, so I expect hmm. to hear it from him this week, so we'll see. Uh, yeah, actually, you know, that was a paper i wrote about slashers mm. and uh feminism well I, it was more about slashers as an extension of like the male id the teenage mm. male id sure anywho's actually i recycled it from high school <laughs> <laughs> i wrote it in high school and then i revamped yeah. it, it sounds about college. it sounds about that deep yeah <laughs> son of a bitch it was ever since college we were too busy i was sure. too busy sure. fucking yeah that's, that's true <laughs> um and as always you know i think your tits are getting bigger